Hello and welcome to Healing from Within. I am your host, Cheryl Glick, Reiki Master Teacher, Energy Practitioner, and author of my newest book in a trilogy, A New Life Awaits, Spirit Guided Insights to Support Global Awakening. And I am delighted to welcome Lisa Boucher, author of Raising the Bottom, to discuss best ways to deal with living in troubled times and in a drinking culture. As we know, the coronavirus pandemic, lockdowns and schools closed, along with economic problems across the United States, has increased stress and naturally people trying to deal with it all, so sometimes overdue, drinking leading to many other emotional and health issues. Hello, Lisa, and thank you for joining us on Healing from Within to address a subject which many fail to observe or talk about. And in almost every family, there is some kind of alcohol or addiction and other forms of abuse going on. That's true, and thank you, Cheryl, for having me on your show. Um, yeah, it is not a, it's not a problem that is just to a few people. I mean, millions of people, millions, literally, have, you know, maybe they're not full-blown alcoholics, but they're leaning on alcohol in an unhealthy way to help them to manage stress, fear, anxiety. Yeah, and and it disturbs their health, and it disturbs their family life, and their work life, and everything else, even if it's not a full-blown even minor a loss of control in this area causes extreme problems. Lisa, as listeners of Healing From Within know, my guests and I share intimate stories that illuminate the duality uh, of spiritual, energetic, and also physical aspects of life. So we may come to answer age-old questions of who we are and how life originated and come to create better lives through knowing the answers to many relevant questions. Life as an eternal energy force allows us to know that the answers do lie within our soul wisdom and real happiness does not come from the outside world or a drink or drugs or wealth or hedonistic pursuits. In today's episode of Healing from Within, Lisa will offer hope to many listeners who may be struggling with alcohol and other addictions, letting them know they are not alone during these especially challenging times and will help them examine and become aware of their behaviors, identify any problem areas, and stop destructive patterns before they make one feel so helpless to find ways to cope. Lisa, I always love to ask my guests to think back to their childhood and remember a person, place, or event that may have signaled to them or others around them the lifestyle and work they might embrace as an adult. For I believe the life plan and destiny of each of us begins within the heart or soul, and we are here to find ways to express greater love and peace from within, which has nothing to do with the the problems we perceive realistically or create through fear. So Lisa, think back 
and tell us how you got interested in this topic. I think I got interested from a very personal experience. I mean, it started with my mother, who was an alcoholic, and her she was also a registered nurse like myself, and she started very innocently enough with prescription drugs from a doctor. And then her addiction escalated really all through my childhood. I can't remember a time. She didn't get sober until I was 21. So literally my whole entire childhood was dealing with an alcoholic parent and the chaos and dysfunction it brought to our whole entire family was pretty epic. I mean, she had, there's some, you know, there's some tragic stories in there and then there's some that are tragic comedy because you look back now and it's like, oh my goodness, like how did anybody survive all this? So I think that, um, certainly drew me to this field and then of course with myself I'm in recovery I got sober in 89 so I have an intimate experience with drinking too much myself and really what I guess is my claim to fame is that I quit drinking when most people are just revving up I was in my late 20s I could see it was going over the edge and probably had I not had the childhood experiences that I did I really believe in my heart that I could have drank another 10, 15 years and been like everybody else going, oh, I'm a social drinker, even though I'm drinking daily, maybe, or four times a week. I know when I quit drinking, I was not a daily drinker. I did not have a DUI. Really, nothing bad happened. But it was like you alluded to, you know, energy and the way our behavior, it was impacting me in my emotions. I was all over the board. Yeah. Yeah, and so it does, you know, drinking, people are not aware, over time does tremendous damage to the neurological system, to your brain cells. And later on in life, you know, so many people take falls. Well, many of them are taking falls because they were big drinkers. And it, it, they, they don't realize it when they're young. They feel, you know, nothing will ever harm them. And so it's a little bit here and a little bit there. But that adds up. And I want to read what you wrote. You wrote, the biggest testimony that I made a great decision in 1989 to quit drinking is that I'm not the same person I used to be. By God's grace, my twins have only known a sober mother. I have changed in big ways, and all of the positive modifications allowed me to complete my education, hold a job, stay married to the same man for 30-plus years, and raise my sons, both of whom went on to become Division I athletes, graduate, graduate college, and secure jobs. Not bad for what certainly would have been a very different outcome had I not quit drinking. So you can be very proud of yourself. It wasn't easy because some people, when they start drinking, if there's an alcoholic parent, there's often a genetic tendency in the family. And sometimes even just one drink can turn on that system. And like some people can take a drink here and there and don't really need it. That key is not turned on, but others 
have a problem. And I actually Well, you add the the Cheryl, you add the trauma piece to it too, because of the trauma of a mother who was basically non-functioning for a good part of our lives. Lots of car accidents. My father was raging and he was rather physically abusive to us kids. I think he felt so out of control because he could not manage his wife's alcoholism that his rage came out sideways at us. So when they talk about a family disease, this is the kind of stuff that they're talking about. And the fear of, you know, our, I don't believe children of alcoholics are children that have trauma. I don't know if you're familiar with like ACE scores, where the higher your level of trauma, the, you, you are 15 times more likely to become alcoholic if you've had childhood trauma. And Dr. Folletti did that very famous ACE study. So, you know, my trauma was a little bit of physical abuse, this, um, alcoholism in the home, the accidents, the things like this, you don't, your nervous system can't connect in a healthy way like it, when yeah. you're in a family that is calm and, you know, we were all surviving in our own kind of way. We were all running amok as kids. I have three other siblings. And so we didn't get good parenting. It's amazing we're well, all functional. I'm going to say we are. I'm going to say something very unusual. Uh, you, you, you know, most families are dysfunctional in yeah, some way, and let me tell you why. This is part of a spiritual way for people to become healers, families to become healed through the experiences which are neither good or bad they are just experiences which give us opportunities to find within us our greatest spiritual gifts and for them to come out so nothing's really bad I know you lived through difficult challenges and and you made choices that were good which affected you uh, your health, your children you stayed married, many people cannot do that coming from an alcoholic parent so let's go on to so how do people who have come from an alcoholic family and may be genetically predisposed to alcoholism through genetic influences handle living in a boozy culture now you just started to talk about some of it yeah I mean first thing is self-honesty yes secondly Look at your patterns. You mentioned that word a little earlier. Patterns are huge. So if you know that every day you're sitting at your desk or wherever you work, and at noon you're already thinking about the bottle of wine you're going to buy on your way home from work or the place you're going to stop and have drinks, you're already too attached to alcohol. Those are very early warning signs that people don't want to look at. And they think, oh, that's normal. Well, actually, it's not. Someone who is not attached to the effect of alcohol is not going to think about drinking four or five hours before they're able to drink. It's just not on their radar. So there's that. That is like how, you know, but you have to have some of that self-honesty that is every activity that you do surrounded by alcohol. Do you do anything where there's not drinking involved. I mean, that will tell you a lot. A lot of people, if they're honest with themselves, they'll say, you know what, my 
uh, friend group is very boozy. Mm-hmm. Everything we do revolves around the cocktail. So we don't take hikes unless we're taking a cooler beer with us, that kind of thing. Well, all you so have to do, be, yeah, you know, all you have to do, Lisa, is look on Facebook. And half the oh, people are standing yeah. there holding a drink in, in their hand. Right. Just look right. on Facebook. And we have to remember, this is what we're role modeling to very young children. Yes. You know, they don't see any adults that aren't drinking, so they assume this is what you do. And many of them start down the road of alcoholism when they're only 13, 14 years old. And the younger so, they you know, start, the worse it is. Absolutely. You're absolutely correct on that. I mean, think about it this way. Uh, Like you were saying, too, our brain, the prefrontal cortex, that's what the alcohol impacts immediately. So that is the computer part of our brain where all of our rational thought, where we can make decisions and choices. And if you're drinking as a young child, I mean, their brains aren't formed anyway, let alone add alcohol. There's nothing but a disaster waiting to happen. And then for adults, I mean, I think it really explains, you know, they say you quit growing at whatever age you really started drinking. So I think this explains why we see parents at Little League uh, games getting into brawls. You know, Mm. they probably had some alcohol and now they're acting like the 15-year-olds that they're supposed to be standing there supporting, cheering on. Yeah, I've noticed so a lot of that. we see the behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, the behavior is out there, but nobody wants to point it back to the alcohol. They want to point it to everything else. It's the coach's fault. It's this fault. No, it's adults who have not matured, and emotionally they may be 40, but they're still emotionally 15. Absolutely. I want to say something here. Addiction does mm -hmm. cause changes in the brain, as you just said, and it's a real problem that has nothing to do with willpower, which is another misconception. It's got to be smashed. You know, there are people out there, many of them working in medicine, who still think alcoholism or drug addiction is just a matter of willpower or morals or the ability to say no and this fallacy it does nothing to help the suffering so the saddest thing is when a person asks for help and they're pointed in the wrong direction and unfortunately this happens a lot so why did you decide to write this book at this time well, because, Cheryl, I wanted the title, Raising the Bottom. I, Like I said, I'm an RN, and what you just said about the medical community, there's so much misinformation, stereotypes, and the vast majority, 80% of alcoholics, have families and jobs. So, like you said, we need to smash this stereotype of you're the drunk. No, it's people that are barely hanging on, but they're functioning. So, you know, I wanted to write, and those are the people that I portray in the book. They were doctors and nurses and moms and teachers and people that were dealing with their alcoholism while going to work while trying to raise a family. So these are the stories that I felt we don't hear enough of. We hear all of the drunk stories or the drug stories on the 6 o'clock news. And that's at, like, the worst level, you know, where Mm -hmm. they're overdosing or dying or killing people in car crashes. But they're not looking at the alcoholism that I see every day. I know when I worked years in the emergency room, everybody, it started to dawn on me after a while, 90% of what was rolling through the door was drug and alcohol related, whether it was the little old lady with congestive heart failure 
because she'd been drinking too much for so many years and or the guy with um, liver disease or kidney failure you know so often you could trace it back to the alcohol but the doctors rarely addressed it unless mm. the person lying there was yellow <laughs> where their liver was failing and then they'd say hey do you drink because let me just point this out real quick the general population, roughly 10% of the people. So let's say that's about 32 million people, roughly, probably way more because people always underreport what they drink. But in the medical community, 14% of doctors, they have a higher rate because of the stress, yeah. the fear of failure, the fear of being sued, you know, the fear of botching a surgery, whatever. So there's quite a few people within the medical community. I've yet to work on a nursing unit where somebody hasn't clearly been in the throes of addiction, and it is never meaningfully addressed. No, and it's and not only the medical field. It's the police officers, law enforcement. Right. They have a very high right. suicide rate. They and, do. and it's yes. attorneys. In my new book, yes, A New Life yes. Awaits, I, I talk about attorneys who uh, are looking for the money and those who are not the really happy and fulfilled because we cannot find in the materialistic world what makes our hearts sing. And many of them are, are sad, disillusioned, and drinking. Lots yes, of drinking. Yes, you're absolutely right. So let's go. And absolutely these are highly right. educated people. They're the professionals. It's not a matter of knowledge. I mean, knowledge does not keep people sober or get people drunk. I mean, it is an addiction that when you cross that imaginary line, nobody knows exactly when. You might be 20, in your 20s like I was. You might be in your 40s. You know, I've talked to people, women and men, that said, I never picked up a drink till I was 31, and by the time they're 39, they're in full-blown alcoholism. And then so sometimes they're no going to reason. blame you. Sometimes they're going to blame someone else for their drinking. But that's right. ge- generally no. not the truth. No, it isn't. It, it, it's really, you can have trauma and whatnot, but you still can't blame it. I mean, it's, you can understand why a person would then turn to self-medicating. It's very different to blame and to understand and use it as self-medicating because that is really people that get into trouble with alcohol. That is what they're doing. They're self-medicating. They don't want to deal with whatever hard things are in their life or inside their heart. They have fear. They have pain. They have sorrow. And it's just a temporary escape and learning to see what triggers those fears and sorrows, learning to deal with it uh, heals. But it takes effort and work and introspection. And and a lot of people just don't have the people around them to encourage that. So we're going to go on to what are some of the ways a person can begin to deal with their addiction and what are also some of the long-term consequences. You started to talk about both of these. Let's give it a little more thought. Yeah, let me give you a a very real story that just happened to a woman that I've been um, familiar with for maybe 15 years. She's been in and out of recovery. Um, This is a mother. She's just recently become a grandmother, a wonderful person, um, struggling with dealing with, you know, not drinking, Does would stay sober for a couple years and then for whatever reason would, would start drinking again. And like you alluded to earlier, the fall, she fell 
and she at home, and she's now in ICU, and I don't know if she's going to come back. Yeah. So this is how dangerous it is and, and what really can and does happen. So we have to just be open to looking at our lives, paying attention to our lives, paying attention to our feelings and saying, you know, what is it that I haven't dealt with? What am I self-medicating? You know, there's so much help out there. There there are rehabs. There are lots of resources online. You can take those little quizzes. I've never known anybody who takes a quiz and passes it who really, you know, got it wrong. But you just have to be honest. And there and you are people have to want to change. Yeah, there's all kinds of energy healers. Now I'm a Reiki master are. teacher and a medium. And so before a client comes to me, I do a reading and generally it's very positive and uplifting to help the person know their path and if they're in having difficulty to give them some clues as to what might be causing them to think or feel the way and uh, they can learn to connect to their own soul and life path and make the changes once they know who they are that this is not just a physical life that it's also a spiritual life and an opportunity to raise your vibration to greater levels of higher emotions and good feelings instead of lower emotions like disease, dishonesty, uh, distress, despair a lot of those D words are like at the bottom of the le- right. you know energy level right. and the higher levels are health and and happiness and joy and positivity and success and you know once you learn to understand your own feelings and what triggers you to unhappiness it gets easier to recognize the clues and to not engage it to engage what makes you feel good and to not engage things that are going to take you in a direction that you don't want to go any longer. Now, I don't ever judge anybody on anything. Whatever happens, happens because it's meant to happen for that soul or that person uh, to begin to see themselves and perceive things in a different way. But still, too many people do perceive and judge And once we start to get past that, things get so, so much better. So what do you want people to take away with them after reading your book? That I'm hoping that people, like if they are having struggles in their lives and they are drinking a lot, that they will look to the alcohol first. Because so many people run and get on antidepressants and all of this medication trail, and their lives continue to spiral out of control. So I say if you're having problems in your life and you're drinking, try getting rid of the alcohol first and see if, if things don't start to, you know, change in your life. And if that scares the heck out of you to get rid of alcohol, that's kind of a real clear sign that it's probably the alcohol, if that makes sense. When you're so afraid to do that and you'd rather take a handful of antidepressants than not drink wine, that says a lot about, you know, you are perhaps in addiction. So I want them to see how it can look. It's very sneaky. It's very subtle. And it doesn't, it will not look like the person on the six o'clock news. And nor does it have to. I mean, like I said, I quit before things got bad. 
And I've never regretted that choice because well, I, I think, knew wasn't it I could have you, had a lot of suffering. When you had twins, you had a set of twins. Was didn't yes. that? It was a lot of work to take care of a set of twins, and and you wanted to put your energy and efforts, and maybe you realized you just couldn't do it if you were drinking. Well, maybe that was almost enough. I quit enough. drinking right before. Yeah, I found out I was pregnant. Thank God, because I can't imagine it was very very difficult. Um, and then I went to nursing school, and they were not six months old. So it was insanity, and I'm trying to stay sober, and so I had a lot going on, but what all of that did for me is I was very regimented in my life, and so that was a good thing. I, Looking back, that was maybe like what my soul needed. I needed this very structured life because I had zero structure in my life prior to that, so that really helped keep me on the sober trail to take care of the babies and go to school and deal with my husband, and I chose 12-step recovery so that I would throw some meetings in there. And, you know, that worked for me. Excellent. I'm so, so happy for you. What would you tell your kids or teenagers in general about drinking or doing drugs? I would remind them what it does to their brain, and I think the best thing you can do for your children is be a good example. Because we need parents who are going to talk to their children about alcohol, but not talk to them while they're sitting there with a wine or a beer or a martini dangling from their wrist. Because the kids are not going to listen. And we need to be better examples. And I always say to parents, you know, if you don't have a problem, then it should not be a big issue for you not to drink 24-7 in front of your children. Yeah, we if have you, we you, have to be the example. Right? Absolutely, we have exactly. to be the example. We have to mature. You know, you're one of the few people I've interviewed over 700 people over the last 10 years. You're one of the only people who has said you said it at the beginning. Most of these people with this problem don't mature. They're the same mm-hmm. way they were when they were in high school or college. Yes. And we're not yes. on this planet to stay that way. We're, we're here as souls to mature, to feel greater love and compassion, and to share our spiritual gifts, whether that's in serving or, or writing or uh, art or music or uh, serving the public in healing, as you and I do, and... And we are here to to learn from our mistakes. They're not really failures. They're just opportunities for us to see another part of ourselves that we would rather cultivate. I want to thank you, you Lisa Boucher, yes. RN, author of Raising the Bottom, for addressing a topic I have been concerned about for a very long time. And now in these unusually heightened, stressful times for mothers and all women, and the men, too, of the fathers, too. Yeah, oh, yeah, they're struggling. Of course, dealing with a deadly plague, that the plague, uh, coronavirus, that has affected every 
country, every family and workplace in the world, increasing political, religious, and economic challenges happening just like a tennis ball shooting out of that machine at rapid speed, dealing with overkill tendencies towards alcoholism or other addictions or full-blown alcoholic episodes have increased over this, this time right now in these times, and to read more about detecting and helping those with alcohol abuse, go to RaisingTheBottom.com. In summarizing today's episode of Healing From Within, we have discussed the signs, symptoms, and long-term effects that excessive use of alcohol or other addictions can have on the health, family, children, relationships and work status that will be affected if the disease and I I say this again it is a disease is not addressed yes. and conquered many people don't think of it that way but it is a disease and needs to be treated that way Lisa wrote I've worked in emergency rooms and psych wards for over 20 years that's a lot of undocumented research I have friends who work in hospitals all over the country. Their experiences mirror my own. Substance abuse in one form or another contributes to an overwhelming amount of hospital admissions, either directly or indirectly. What I've seen is that people end up in emergency rooms and psych wards because of substance abuse. The traumas, the wrecks, the falls, the esophageal uh, variuses, the bad livers, the cocaine-induced heart attacks, the fights, the shootings and stabbings, the depression, the anxiety, the generalized malaise that seems to overtake too many young people and sends them in search of antidepressants and disability checks. All too often, these have the common denominator of alcohol and of drugs. Lisa and Cher, Lisa and I would have our listeners know that life is a precious gift and the birthright of our soul is happiness and health. But the physical world, relationships and economic stresses put a burden on the heart and mind of so many people, often traumatized in childhood, who carry the wounds of life that can lead to alcoholism and abuses. Finding the sources, that can help. And that's the key to conquering this disease. And please begin to ask for help from family, friends, and spirit. Help will, yes. help will come. I am Cheryl Glick, host of Healing From Within, and invite you to visit my website, CherylGlick.com, to read about and listen to metaphysicians, change makers, spiritualists, scientists, healers, energy workers, educators, and those in the arts and music fields who seek to support the evolution of our human and divine process. Shows may also be heard on webtalkradio.net, and dreamvision7radio.com. Thank you, 